Hi, and welcome to Be the Flagship with our podcast host, Jeff Parsons. This is where we tackle the day-to-day talent management challenges you face, particularly in hospice and small healthcare organizations. And now, over to our host. Take it away, Jeff. Hello. Thank you. I'm Jeff Parsons, host of the podcast, Be the Flagship, and what an episode we have for you today. I can't wait to get started. Okay, and today I have a special Christmas present for my listeners. Joining me as a special guest uh, is a person who is widely known and respected in the hospice industry, and her name is Jan Jones. And so a little bit more about Jan. Jan Jones is currently CEO of Alleviate Care, uh, which is the owner of three hospices serving Southern California, and they include... Inland Valley Hospice, Inland Valley Hospice Care, and All Point Hospice. Collectively, they serve San Bernardino, Riverside, Los Angeles, Ventura, and Orange Counties in Southern California. Prior to her current role, Ms. Jones served at the, as the Chief Executive Officer of the Elizabeth Hospice, which is a leading provider of hospice care, palliative care, and grief support in San Diego County and Southwest Riverside County. In this role, Ms. Jones oversaw a workforce of around 280 employees and around 315 active volunteers. She was the liaison between the organization and the community, partnering with local healthcare, educational, business, and civic organizations, as well as connecting with the residents in the communities served by the organization. Jan served on the board for the North San Diego Business Chamber and is the former president of the Escondido Rotary Club. With more than three decades of experience in the healthcare industry, Jan, who's also a registered nurse, by the way, remains active in her dedication to community service. She remains committed to addressing the unmet needs for those affected by a serious or life-limiting illness. Jan is active as a volunteer, working at the state and national levels of hospice organization and government arenas. She has held leadership positions at the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, or NHPCO, which is based in Washington, D.C. Jan is past chair of the NHPCO Board of Directors and has served on the board of the Hospice Action Network. Jan also serves as a chair of the California Hospice and Palliative Care Association and now serves on that board as a board member. Welcome, Jan. My pleasure. So the first question I have, what inspired you to pursue a career in hospice and how did your journey in hospice begin? You know, that's such an interesting question. I've been a nurse for a long time. And um, at one point in my nursing career, I I always was comfortable working with people who were at the end of their lives throughout my, from the time I was a student nurse all the way through Mm -hmm. my career. And at one point in my career, I was um, head of a home care agency. And this was actually Mm -hmm. right at the cusp or right before the hospice movement came to the U.S. And... um, we saw patients at home. We saw people who were dying at home. And I always was comfortable working with folks in their own homes where they were breathing their last. 
and it just was rewarding to me. So when I when I was given the opportunity to begin working in hospice, which happened in Miami, Florida, years ago, 35, mm. almost 36 years ago, okay. I learned that it really was my calling. There was nothing else. I've always loved being a nurse, but there was nothing else in my uh in my being that wanted to do anything other than hospice. So like so many people say, I was called to the work. It's my calling. Wow. And I, I, Jan, I have heard that from a number of mm-hmm. uh, true dedicated hospice professionals that it is really a calling. It is. It's not a career. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So I know hospice care has evolved over time. Yes. And so... What's your perspective? How have you seen the landscape of hospice care evolve over the course of your career? Yeah. Initially, we were, um, it it was kind of a grassroots movement. And Mm -hmm. so um, there was very little oversight of hospice care in the very beginning. And as time progressed, as what happens with so many healthcare uh, organizations or healthcare businesses, once Medicare began to pay for hospice care, the landscape mm-hmm. began to change because there were people entering the marketplace who maybe were not as interested in the calling piece as they were in the profit piece. <laughs> and right. was that was that said well? <laughs> yes, yeah, did very well. <laughs> and... Um, and so, uh, over the years, the scrutiny has become more and more, for good reason. I have no problem mm-hmm. with the scrutiny because I hope that people who are not in in it for the right reasons don't continue to be in hospice care. So, I, although it's been difficult because it takes time, it takes money, it takes energy to meet Mm-hmm. All of the new regulations that come forth, um, it's it is for a good reason. It is to ensure that people who are entitled to receive hospice care are actually getting what they deserve. I see. So you mentioned, you know, the current challenges. How 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 the challenges have evolved. On the flip side, what opportunities do you see for the future of hospice care, and how can the hospice industry capitalize on them? Well, I think there's a lot of opportunity for hospice. First of all, we are are sitting on uh, the cusp of the baby boomer explosion. So Mm -hmm. most people who are receiving hospice care are older than 65. In fact, 75 is probably the average age of a hospice patient. Um, And that probably is moving upwards as we tend to all live longer. But um, so I think there's a lot of opportunity to serve. I think there are opportunities to um, continue to grow what hospice looks like um, within the regulatory environment. At some point, it is likely that we will be providing hospice care under the umbrella of Medicare um, managed care, which mm-hmm. could open up some opportunities for innovation that 
are difficult now. Innovation is not impossible, but it's difficult within the set of regulations that we currently have. So I think there's opportunity that may come across for more innovation. Uh, So what challenges would that present, uh, looking at more of a managed care model? Um, Managed care, I think it would be uh, difficult because of the financial uh, situation that we might have. It might open up opportunities for more continuous care, a continuum of care that Sometimes does not exist now. Things are pretty fragmented, but okay. um, so there may be an opportunity there. But I think truly it um, it would probably reduce the amounts that hospices would be paid, which okay. may also create some challenges in how to deliver a model of care that has been in existence for a very long time since the eight, early 80s and how would we okay. how would we change that model of care to meet the current financial um the, the right. current payment structure in other words it's maneuvering that balance yes. and making sure that you continue to have the right balance yes you know between your mission or your purpose for existence right. and running a business exactly at the same time. that's exactly right and these okay. are people who, this is their last chapter of life. They deserve mm-hmm. not to have to worry about those things. They deserve the very best of care. They deserve mm-hmm. they deserve our loving presence. Um, mm-hmm. They deserve our help in helping them meet their own goal. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's that's what that's what motivates me. I see. Well, and and that's a perfect uh, segue into the next question. I can't wait to get your response on this. Let's talk about legacy and impact, right? So reflecting on your career, Mm -hmm. a storied career in hospice, what accomplishments are you most proud of in the realm of hospice care? Um, I have been very uh, fortunate to have, with every hospice I've been with, we have grown we have uh, grown in our ability to serve. We have grown in our programs. As an example, um, hospices, I've, I've been with three different hospices prior to my current position in three different uh-huh. states. And in mm-hmm. all three of them, I was able to establish pediatric hospice care, which is okay. a very huge need. Um And in the last two, uh, to establish strong palliative care programs to reach out to people prior to their eligibility for hospice under the Medicare guidelines. So I think what I would be most proud of in my legacy is, is establishing ways to ensure that people who want to receive the care have a path to receive it. That would be my legacy. My second important Mm -hmm. piece of the legacy is where I am now with a fabulous group of young leaders, young men who are really passionate about hospice care and want to lead for the future. So the other part of my legacy is in um, 
helping support people who have an interest to carry carry on the work. Okay. That's excellent. Honey, I'm sure you've heard the the phrase a hospice heart yes. referred to on occasion and so and, and I've referred to it in previous episodes actually. And uh, I consider a hospice heart as a means to describe the deep commitment to providing compassionate yes. care. So what, in your opinion, is the essence of compassionate end-of-life care, and how do you ensure it's a cornerstone in your organization? The way I define it is it's care that I would want my mother to receive. Okay. That is wow. the epitome of what we should be providing. The way that we ensure that that is occurring is through a variety of measuring opportunities to measure the care. It is talking to individual families and patients. It is um, looking at scores that are, CAP scores, for example, that are on a national level to see uh, what the satisfaction level is, because part of our job is not just the care that we deliver to the person who's experiencing the illness. It is very important to deliver care to the family so that when their loved one does pass away, that they are left knowing that they've done a great job and they can they can grieve with, not with a heavy heart, although there's a heavy heart for the loss, but they can grieve knowing that they did the best they could for their loved one. So those are the things that, that we look at. I, I think there are plenty of things to measure, looking at quality scores, looking at things like that. But mostly it has to do with how patients and families tell you they feel about the care. I see. Um, in a previous episode, in talking with uh, a hospice professional, uh, she provided um, examples of a hospice heart in action, and um, you know where hospice nurses have moved mountains oh, yeah. to grant last wishes or to For sure. to support the family or that sort right. of thing. In your in your career, can you share a memorable experience that illustrates? the profound impact of compassionate care in hospice? Oh, my gosh. I probably could think of a bunch of, of <laughs> uh, things that I could say, but I remember mm -hmm. one vividly. And this mm -hmm. this was when I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and we had an inpatient unit, which was under my watch. I should have said that's part of the legacy, is the inpatient mm -hmm. unit there. And um, we had, it was early on, our unit had just opened, and we had a referral of somebody who was homeless. And okay. this gentleman had, didn't even go into the mission. He was used to being out. He didn't want to be inside anywhere. Mm -hmm. We were able to convince him to come into the unit. He lived for two weeks. He was the happiest he had ever been. He he got he loved pickles. We made sure he had plenty of pickles. We taught him the things that he wanted to eat. We just 
loved on him until his until the end. And I just remember how important that was for that individual who had lived on the streets for years. But his oh last two weeks were surrounded by loving care in a wow. comfortable environment. He didn't have to worry about the rain and the, the wind and anything else. He, mm -hmm. was, he was comfortable. So to me, that showed the hospice heart. And everybody, the, the chief medical director or chief medical officer went out and bought pickles. He went out and <laughs> I mean, we all, we all surrounded this gentleman. How about that? Yeah. yeah. That's just one. But there are so many. I'm sure. Yeah. That's that's wonderful. That's a wonderful story, Jan. Yeah. Um, let's shift for a minute uh, to the topic of innovation in hospice. Yes. So how has technology played a role in advancing hospice care? And are, are there specific innovations that have stood out to you? Well, I think, first of all, technology is important. We have to embrace it, but not replace we embrace, but not replace. We don't replace the human element, but we have to embrace uh -huh. the techno technological element. Um, EMRs were a big deal, just electronic medical records. They, uh, mm -hmm. they can be a pain, but they also can be a very, very important tool where you have information that's important that is captured in the medical record and available in real time. So that when a patient calls, say, at two o'clock in the morning, the nurse who is taking that call can just open the medical record and know exactly what's happened. That's a really key innovation. We're currently using um, an innovation where staff don't have to write down their mileage anymore. It's called trip log. So they get to, they just start, they just push a button, it starts tracking where they're going and they push it when they're done. No more mm -hmm. writing down mileage, which was a big pain for staff. They didn't like having to track their <laughs> So, I mean, the little that's a that's kind of a little innovation, but it's a big deal for the staff. I think, um, in terms of innovations that are going to be really meaningful, I think there are things that will help uh, innovations coming down the pike, pike that will help nurses to not be bogged down with as much documentation as they are today, um, perhaps uh, different ways to capture documentation without without the burden that currently exists, and mm -hmm. other, other kinds of innovation that I think are important. We're currently working on it with a um, PBM where we can order medications on an app and uh, things are just smooth and taken care of that way. There are a lot of different technological innovations that are coming that will help us. Yeah. And, and pardon me, but the, the types you've just described, it, it seems to me from an HR, from my HR mindset that by decreasing Correct. Uh, the bureaucratic uh, paperwork and record keeping and that sort of thing, you're also increasing employee yes. satisfaction and have the opportunity to do so at least yes. improve employee satisfaction that you're doing things to try to make their life a little easier and let them focus on what they're called to do. Exactly. That's important. Yeah. That's very important. Do you see telehealth as an emerging technolo technology in hospice? Yeah, I do. 
I do. It's been utilized um, currently in hospice with face-to-face mm-hmm. visits. I would like to see it use, utilized a little bit more frequently, and we can use it. We can use telehealth. So let's say, for example, a patient family calls at 2 o'clock in the mm-hmm. morning, and the person doing triage, if they have the ability to actually see what's happening or or measure the blood pressure or use some uh, telehealth devices to help them with triaging, that could be a huge advantage. So that's kind of thing that I see okay. that would be really helpful. Okay, good. So, again, you've been in hospice for a long time, and, you know, there are uh, new, professor, new professionals entering hospice, and there are those currently in hospice who might be struggling or trying to grow within hospice. So if you were, off, so if you were offering advice to professionals who are considering going into hospice or growing in hospice, uh, what advice do you have for those individuals? First of all, I think that the calling piece is critical. So if you think that that is a field that you want to work in, it might be helpful to really interview some people who are already doing it, already in the field, and maybe even doing a ride-along if if you can get permission to Mm -hmm. do that, just to see if it's something that meets your needs. Um, I think... I, I just cannot reiterate the importance of the calling yeah. part because people who do come to hospice usually within a short period of time either know that it's for them or not. And I would imagine as long as you've been in hospice, you can spot that pretty quickly in a person, can't you? Yeah, well, and they can spot it in themselves. Yes. Yeah. They, they usually self-identify. Yeah. But um, so I think... Anyone wanting to work with people, it is the most meaningful work I have Mm -hmm. found in my entire nursing career. There is nothing more important to me than making a difference in someone's life when it is at the end of their life. That is the most important thing I feel like I can do with my life. That's that's right. So, you know, a lot of nurses who leave, let's say, the hospital uh, and they're accustomed to rehabbing patients, right? Fixing them, getting them better. Yeah. And then they go into hospice yeah. where that's not the case. You're trying to maximize no. the quality yeah. of life. Uh, exactly. However many days the patient has left. And to minister to the families. I said it's a little bit of a ministry as well. It, but there yes, are, emotion, there are sure. emotional challenges. So how can professionals in the hospice industry navigate the emotional challenges that come with providing end-of-life care. Yeah. Yes, I, there are emotional challenges because you do get you get um, attacked. Mm-hmm. It's it's natural. Mm-hmm. So I would look for a hospice that um, honors mm-hmm. that. Um, and there are a couple of things that hospices can do. One is to have some formal ways in which they honor the lives of the patients who've gone before. Uh, And there are a whole lot of different ways to do that uh, within the staff. Mm -hmm. I would also look for a hospice who might 
um, have some mental health dates in their in their um, benefit okay. package, okay. where you you have the opportunity if you're really struggling and you need a few days to kind of recharge your batteries right. that. Um, the hospice may have either a, a, a paid day off policy that allows for that or an actual mental health day policy. Um, so those are some of the HR things I would look for. The other thing is you want to work with people who are supportive. So your colleagues mean a mm -hmm. lot in providing emotional support. I have learned that. Um, yeah, I mean, the, it's a pretty, yeah. a pretty strong bond you know, within the yes. hospice care team. Yes, it is very strong. And they tend to support each other when one person is needing a little extra boost, the rest of yeah. them kind of gather around and provide mm -hmm. that. Uh, okay. And and that means yeah. the world. So that's part of the job satisfaction that I see with a lot of hospice staff is just the satisfaction comes from the team that they work with and the supervisor that they have who supports that them. That supervisor's important, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, well, thank you for that, uh, Jan. I, I, when I read your bio, you know, I was amazed at all the community involvement you've you have. So, when it when it comes to yeah. community engagement, how do you engage with the local community to raise awareness about how hospice care? and end-of-life issues? Um, the way I've done it is I find groups that have similar desires to support the community. For example, um, the Chamber of Commerce supports businesses in the community. The um, Rotary supports uh, causes in the community. Um, so I kind of gravitate to organizations like mm -hmm. that and fi find whether I'm a member of an organization like that or whether whether it's an opportunity to do a program mm -hmm. for an organization like that, I think it's really, really important. That's how I've seen raising community awareness um, okay. through, through both membership in those organizations and also just um, talking about what it is that you mm -hmm. do. What does your, what does your hospice I do? See. Okay, yeah. thank you. Uh, and as we mentioned earlier, it's a balancing act, right? Managing a hospice organization yes. requires a delicate balance between business and compassion. It, if yes. you're a for-profit or a not-for-profit, that really doesn't matter. You still have to generate no. revenue yeah. because, in order to serve your mission within the community, right? And so it's a fine Correct. line. So how do you strike that balance? And what lessons have you learned along the way, Jan? Well, I think just um, the most important thing is doing the right thing, staying compliant. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, understanding that your people are the most important mm -hmm. thing, your staff. Um, understanding that compliance is a requirement and following it very carefully. So taking care of your people, being compliant with regulations, um, those things help you as you grow so that you grow your revenue to the point where you're able to support your mission. Mm -hmm. And so I think those are two of the most important things that you do. Yep. Growth is critical to supporting a mission. 
Um, it is for any business. So attending to that, but you grow because your people are great and the word gets mm-hmm. out and you grow because you are an up and upstanding business. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so those are, those are key factors, okay. I think. Um, so when we talk about the workforce, I mean, you are certainly respected as a hospice leader and uh and and you have the depth and breadth of leadership experience within hospice so as a leader uh you understand the importance of connecting your employees with the mission of your hospice right so what so what strategies as a leader do you employ to accomplish that uh first of all you model it but Beyond that, <laughs> um, we we have frequent all staff meetings mm-hmm. that um, where we lift up our mission, lift up what it is we're doing, our mission, our values, and um, we are looking for ways to um, tell stories of success okay. that occur and. As we talk through those stories of success, it helps to promote. It, it's promoting the culture and the mission of of hospice. Okay. So, I think those are key factors. And, and, okay, so what I hear you saying is that you model the right behavior, right? Correct. And I say yes. that because I've seen so many leaders who model the behavior. Unfortunately, it's not the right behavior, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you got to model the right behavior. It all starts at the top, right? It does. It does. That's where culture is. All lives. at the top. That's right. So, yeah. Uh, thank you for that, Jan. I promise I'm about to let you off the hook, but I do have. We're about to close. So as we wrap up, is there a particular message or piece of wisdom? I'm putting you on the spot now, Chant. Or piece of wisdom yeah. you'd like to share with our listeners, especially those who may have been touched by hospice care in some way. Yes. Well, first of all, if you have been touched by hospice care, thank you for the opportunity to serve because it's a real privilege to be with your families and with you. So thank you for that. I think the most important message that I have is to maintain the commitment to people who are living the last chapters of their lives the maintain the commitment of care, no matter what the payment system looks like over time. We need to commit to providing loving, compassionate, um, competent care to people who deserve it. We all deserve yeah. it. Thank you for that, Jan. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, thank you for your dedicated service to hospice care and for your time today, Jan. Uh, it was my pleasure, Jeff. Thank you for asking me. Oh, wow, me. yeah. Uh, you always have an open invitation to join. And if I could right now, I'd give you a big old hug, Jan. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, through the computer, here's one back. Thanks so much. All righty. Wow. How special was that, right? And I wanted to let you in on a little secret. 
Jan did not receive any of my questions in advance. All of her responses were in the moment and from her heart. So we thank her deeply for her time and her contribution today. And I, we're going to take a quick break uh, for commercial. Then I'm going to come back and I'm going to wrap up the episode with a quote that I think is very relevant to the discussion today. At Flagship Talent, we work with our clients to find and place the right talent. What do we mean by the right talent? We mean we find talent who will commit to your organizational goals and align with your values and behavior expectations. Talent who will perform to your expectations. Talent who will stay and grow with your organization. How are we different from our competitors? We offer the lowest fee structure in the industry. We offer the best talent guarantee in the industry. We provide selection and interviewing support to our clients at no additional fee. We want to save you money, deliver high-quality talent, become an extension of your organization, and be your preferred provider of talent acquisition solutions. To learn more, contact Jeff Parsons by email at jeff at flagshiptalent.com or by phone at 1-800-530-4189, extension 101. Okay, so as I mentioned, I would like to leave you with a quote by the ancient Pericles. And it's certainly relevant for those like Jan Jones. She has touched many lives in her career. So the quote is this, what you leave behind is not what is engraved in stone monuments, but what is woven into the lives of others. Keep that one in mind. Continue to press to be the flagship in your industry. I wish you all a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, and I will see you next year. Bye now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be the Flagship with Jeff Parsons. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did like it, please subscribe and share with others. Until next time, take the step to become the flagship in your marketplace.